Welcome to the Rights Ricky Sanchez podcast, brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged, 707 Walnut in Philly, always at LLPavorsky.com. I am Spike Eskin, along with a man who is very bright and always with the best of intentions. That is Mike Levin of LibertyBallers.com. Hi, Mike. Hi, Spike. I kept my streak alive. By... I know you did. <laughs> I knew. I knew you were going to. Now I'm starting to like censor myself in the in the in the pre-call or in the pre-start. <laughs> you don't want to give me any material. No, I'm giving you nothing. I thought that was pretty good, actually. I thought it was all right. It's very sweet, thank you. The uh, podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. We are up to 582 five-star reviews. We are looking for 1,000. The uh, the review this week, the five-star review this week that will feature. I'd like this podcast even more if Spike would stop hating on Nick Stauskas. Love oh. listening to these guys. Look forward to each new podcast. I don't hate on him. I definitely don't who knew, hate on him. Who knew Nick Stauskas still listened? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely don't hate on Nick Stauskas. I'm certainly not as positive about him as you are. But that uh, that said, um, I wanted to do a quick plug. The uh, The folks over at Xfinity Live, are uh, they're having a beer fest, but they are offering a discount for – uh, writes Ricky Sanchez listeners. The uh, the beer fest is July fifteenth. It's called Summerfest Live. One hundred seventy five different beers. Beer gardens inside. Beer gardens outside. It'll certainly be a different vibe than our party, but a good vibe nonetheless. Food trucks. So if you use the promo code TTP, you get five dollars off. There you huh. go. And um, uh, should I plug this thing or not this thing? Plugs. Um, well, Look at us. Well. I don't know. I'm doing a charity thing. I, I felt like listeners of the podcast might be interested. I I sort of got tricked at work into do. There's a. I'm doing a charity thing for Simon's Fund, and the charity thing is a uh, a public debate with my father. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is the day. Before- <laughs> There's only so much you can offer. Right. Like and that's that's the big you, you know what the big ticket item is. Well, you know, people love watching me listening to me fight with them. And I promise we'll fight about the Sixers. Here's the thing. Good cause. Right. You get a, it's at Fleming. So you get a brunch out of it. Um, it's the day before Father's Day. It, there are like not a lot of tickets left. Shockingly enough. So and I mean that actually literally. So if you're interested in supporting a good cause and watching my head explode um, <laughs> while as I fight with my father. CBSPhilly.com slash um, Father's Day. You can get the brunch. It's the morning. It's, uh, I think, 11 a.m. at Fleming's the morning before Father's Day. Now, you claim, the, the as we spoke about before the podcast, about other people, you claim that your dad is on the level, is coming to arguments with what he actually thinks and not just saying things to... Uh, I, th- I th- you and I off. Well, I mean, I think it's a little of both. I don't think he sure. doesn't believe it. You know, I think yeah. he is skillful in that he sees what this goes back. 
How old am I? I'm 40. This goes back 25 years. Like when yeah. I, when I, I I've been listening to your dad since driving home <laughs> since I was born. Well, but I I never so, liked him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked the Knicks when I was a teenager, right? And I was a huge – John Starks is my favorite athlete of all time. And he would get on the radio in Philadelphia and like rip Starks and Ewing for no reason other than to get to me at home. So he's been doing this for a few decades now and yeah. he's he's good at it. So, All right. Coming up on the podcast later, our uh, our draft countdown continues. We will have a popular Ricky guest. Everybody loves when we have him on, Elon Vinokurov, who is a scout. And he has a scouting company called EV Hoops at evhoops.com is the website. And we will have him on and get his thoughts on. And I figured you will like having Elon on. The first thing I want to ask him is just sort of like what he thought about his um, – his grades from last year, you know, after having a year to look at it, you know, sort of a if he has any mea culpas or surprises or if he wants to take any credit. And then I know you like having Elon on and you'll like having the other guys on because you'll get to ask them about all the fucking the 800 guys in the second round that I've never heard of. So that's right. Yeah. So that'll be the second half of the podcast. We love having Elon on. All right. Here's what I have uh, to talk about before we have Elon on. Did I forget anything? I don't think I forgot anything. Uh, the the now um, sort of coming to the surface Clay Thompson rumors, and that uh, you know that he may be elsewhere in the not too distant future, and what what the Sixers may trade for him if that were possible. I wanted to talk about the NBA Finals. I wanted to talk about the now public, very public war between the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast and Andrew Sharp. Uh, yes. Also, would like to clarify. Later on with you, whether this war is with the Open Floor podcast and whether Ben Golliver is collateral damage in this or whether it is just sharp. Um, okay. Wanted to quickly mention the uh, the Embiid mean tweets thing. And then Jerry Colangelo was on WIP with Carlin and Reese yesterday. And I don't know if you heard it, but there were a few quotes that have gained a little bit of traction. So if we have I don't time, I don't listen to those things. Right. I, but I do read. The, the I can't I couldn't physically hear it. I right. couldn't. My my ears wouldn't be able to like process it to my brain. Right, but reading the quotes is. But reading the quotes and that did also hurt. So let's start off with the clay stuff. So um, I I want to start off saying this is crazy. They're playing in the NBA Finals right now. I don't think any of it's real. Uh, you know, I actually, I do, I do think think some of it's real. Actually, um, it but, might be real as in like, the Sixers want them. I think they could trade him. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this just quickly. Because mm-hmm. I, I think – I actually believe the, the the only two guys on the Warriors who are like – who really affect whether the team is great or not are Curry and Draymond Green. I think as long as you have those two guys I, there. I would say I would say Durant. Well, but they – but here's what I would say about Durant and, you know – like I know there are other factors and stuff, but you can take out Durant and put in Harrison Barnes, and that team won seventy three games. So I don't think if you replace Curry with a Barnes level point guard, that team is anywhere near where they are. But like, I, they're, they're I think still- if, you, if if you take Curry out, if Curry got hurt, and you just have like Patty Mills, or or, or even like Sean Livingston or Ian Clark. Just like filled uh, in off the bench. I think they're then much, think, much different. Well, I think 
Clay, Durant, Draymond still make them a 65-70 win team? Hmm, I don't think so. Durant, um, like, pretty much sleptwalk through some of the season when he wasn't hurt. Yeah, he but, didn't. He wasn't, he wasn't asked to do nearly as much as he could. Same with Clay. Hmm. Yeah, I don't it's know. Just, I, I I think uh, there is a, you know, I think that I, I don't want to get too off topic. I think yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the reason I think Curry creates a frantic impossibility in guarding a team in that, like, I've watched teams. He is so difficult to guard in that. And he moves so much, and he's controlling the ball so often. Like, it's different with Durant, I think, because he doesn't have the ball quite as much because of just you know the size of him and the kind of player he is. Running around, being scared to death of Steph Curry shooting, I think creates a like an impossibility in guarding a team that has any other shooter on it. So whatever. Would you? Let me ask you this. Let me just get to this. Let, let's say for a moment it's real, and let's say there's a third team involved. Like let's say the Warriors. They're, they're going to pay Curry $40 million a year. They're going to have to pay Durant more. They want to stay out of the tax. They want to, you know, have a little bit of depth. Let's say the deal became the th- the three, Sarich, Covington, and the Sacramento pick, and you get Clay Thompson. And let's say there's a third team, so they flip those picks for cost-controlled players that are valuable now. Would you do it? I'd need to know more about the players, like probably not. Well, honestly. no, no. The, the only players you have to worry about are the players I just named. So you, uh, we you, wouldn't receive those players. No, 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 no. The, okay, the Warriors. Yeah, get that's those that's what I thought. That's yeah. what I thought you meant. Um, the three. Yep. The 2019 Kings pick. Yep. Covington, Dari- Dario, and Covington. Yep. Tough Clay is on Clay is on a very cheap deal for two more years for how yeah. good he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, no. What if I pulled the Kings pick off? I'd rather you pull Covington. Okay, if I pulled Covington, you'd say yes. Yeah, I would say yes. I think Covington is probably in in this world of this trade is an important part of it because I think for at least for one year he well, he allows they them need, to. They need to. I guess he's eligible for an extension before this year. It, it seems it'd be it seem weird that they would do it for just one year of yeah. Covington. But the well, Dario yeah. three and the Kings pick. Yeah. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah. That would kind of rule. Yeah, I mean he he's you know he's what twenty seven or something. I'm um and I think he'll he's a good shooter. Like so, I think he'll age pretty well. You know, I think we we have him for six more pretty solid years. You know, I uh, Covington's so much better than people people realize. Yeah, and when he's playing with Simmons and Embiid and he doesn't have guys draped on him, he's yeah. gonna shoot like forty three percent from deep next year. He'd be a killer on on the Warriors, by the way. He would uh, be I a mean, murderer. yeah. It, it's it's almost like obviously Clay is a better player than Covington. I I think Covington's probably a better defender. I might have to think about it. A little more versatile because uh, he's bigger. I think. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Clay's good. Though. I mean, Clay's great. I I really like Clay. I've always liked Clay. There was, I had to t- I had to take a couple years ago. Uh, I guess during Harden's bad year when I was when I was. Sour on, sour on him compared to this year and 
I disagree with it now, but I said that I would rather have Clay than Harden because I didn't think you could win with Harden because of how bad he was on defense. He's still pretty, and, and Clay being a two-way player that you can like efficiently slide in anywhere. I disagree with that now, um, but I really like Clay, and would and would like yeah. to see what he could do without four of the top fifty players of all time. Yeah, three of the team. on his team. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's early to call Draymond that, but I think he'll get there just because of how versatile he is defensively. I don't, I you know, as far as the NBA Finals, I don't even really, I don't want to get into the like the. You know, it, it's funny. There's a lot of talk going on about, like, clearly them being this good. I don't think is great for the league. You know, like the, but the it, it's not an issue in that they. It it was an issue that if they wanted to fix, they had to fix before that cap spike last year. Like it's pretty much a one time thing that allowed this to happen, and now they're stuck. You know, now if these guys want to stick together, there's nothing anybody can do. Well, it's sort of like a social contract, right? Yeah, they could just take – he could just keep taking pay cuts. He's like, I'm going to get paid by my shoe company whenever. Yeah, yeah. I can do, I can do whatever. I'd rather stay with this team. I love this team. Um, and they could keep getting guys like Zaza like on the tail end of their – not prime but like being very useful still just to come play and win a championship for a year just like ring chasers. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's not fair. Yeah, they, I mean, <laughs> they could they would win every year for 5 years barring injury. Uh, you know, they're all at that point in their career uh in their in their lives or be 4 years, you know. I mean, it's it I mean, would, unless we stop them. Yeah, well, the Sixers are the obvious next. No, you and I. You and I. <laughs> are we going to are we going to Tanya Harding Nancy Kerrigan it? Are we going to take yeah. the violence or, or yeah, yeah, absolutely violence. Um it really does. I'm, I'm somewhat serious. Like you look around the league at teams that like have a chance. I think I think the Spurs having Kawhi and the and the Rockets having Harden and and the, that system. Um, I think th- those are like some possibilities. Uh, if I mean, well, what if the Spurs it, got it, Chris Paul? That'd be interesting. Yeah, at least. yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, those are possibilities. But I think in, in the East, like. What teams? I mean, if if the Wizards got like Boogie, nah, maybe. Nah. It's still. I mean, look, it's going to take a lot. Yeah. Let Let me tell you. Uh, I'm. I'm. You know, I've I've never been Team Boogie or anything, but like, let that dude end up on a, a 500 team at some point, and then we can discuss him affecting a team to get. I would like. I would like to see to see Boogie in the playoffs. That'd be fun. I guess. I I I'm like on. I'm basically on Team Fuck That Guy. Like I think he. If you're that good, if you're if you're one of the, you know, two best at your position in the league, is if that's what we're saying, then at one point you should have had your team be 500. Like he is, he is so destructive. Kings are, the, kings are and the Kings are themselves are such a special brand of stupid. Yeah, but but he's part of that. I think he's he's yeah, contributed sure, to sure. that. Yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, but you know, there was like there was stuff like that with Rashid. He was on. Yeah. And he was on a, some really bad Portland teams, um, but I, I like I I root for Boogie. And I, I want to see him. He's of course an idiot at times, but I we're going way off topic. But I, yeah. in terms of like I was talking to my friends about uh, Durant and how he handles the media, and it's just like Kev until until this Golden State thing, he was just fawned over. Yeah, when he was in Oklahoma City, you've, well, you've said 
before. Yeah, well, and, and every Boogie time has, anyone Boogie would question... received, yeah. deservedly, yeah. sometimes. Boogie has received a ton of shit and bullshit had to deal with. Like, some of it's deserved, but some of it is just embarrassingly bad. And Durant pretty much got whatever he wanted. He was, like, treated so gently. Oh, and anytime anybody would question Durant, he would be a, a huge baby about it. An enormous <laughs> baby, yeah. Yeah, Durant, yeah. I'm, Honestly, you know, I want LeBron and the Cavs to, to win. That is not yeah. a surprise based on, based on my takes, based on my anti-Steph takes. Not that he's bad, just that I wanted to see him, wanted to see him fail. Yeah. I, I, want, I want these guys to fail big time, except I do love Andre. Yeah, I want well, and he already got a Finals MVP. He's fine. Yeah, yeah you know? he's fine. I would like you, to see the, the, the Cavs are not going to win. <laughs> this, it would be pretty shocking if the Cavs. Oh, be very shocking. Yeah. But I, I got to pick it. LeBron in seven. Yeah. Do you think Andre stays? Uh, I, I don't think he'll play anywhere else. Let's put it that way. Like I had heard that that he had considered even retiring a couple years ago because of his knees and his physical ailments. So I don't think he will play anywhere else. Let's put it that way. I think either he will play there or he won't play anywhere. That would be my guess. Or he comes back to Philly, little little reunion tour. Yeah, I don't think he'll come back to Philly. <laughs> I think that's not, not too many great memories here. No, of, yeah, of, of getting booed for no reason. Yeah, uh, stupid. All right, uh, uh, all right. Let I, I think that. We we have ten minutes to talk about Sharp and talk about Sherry Colangelo. Two of the I got a lot of, I got a lot of things too. What's that? Got I got I got I've been told to say two two separate things okay. from friends from friends of the podcast. Oh goodness gracious! Okay, uh, Sharp Andrew Sharp. Yeah. So you said on last week's podcast that you told Sharp that he would never be on the Ricky ever, and then and he seemed frustrated by that, obviously. And then um, he, on Open Floor, his podcast with Ben Golliver, uh, of First which – First Sports Illustrated, of which I'm a, a regular listener, actually. Um, he brought that that, – that, uh, that, that, uh, what's it called? That beef to public, to his podcast. Well, someone asked him. It was an email question. Yeah, someone asked him if he would rather have the Wizards in the finals against the Warriors or be on the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. And he took the Wizards in the finals and talked about being banned from this podcast. And uh, I don't know. I guess the floor is yours as you banned him. I mean, do you have anything to say about it? Do you? It's, have- it's not even a banning. It's like so uninterested. <laughs> it's like, are, are we, we banning? We put him on a shirt for an entire event. Like, <laughs> yeah. do you know? I we're bought. Not, we're I, not banning like my cousins from a, the podcast, but like we're not going to have my cousins on. Wow! So you're saying he's not even worth a banning, basically? No, not even worth a banning. So, do you know? I bought one. I never got one of the Andrew Sharp shirts at that bus trip. Was the most hectic event that I've, in a good way, that I've been a part of. Like, it, there were a lot of, a lot of moving pieces, and I never got one of the Andrew Sharp shirts. So somebody put them on eBay, like five of them on eBay. So I bought one. So now I have one from the bus trip. Yeah, Golliver said he bought one too. Yeah, I don't think he really did. Oh. Yeah, I I think he may How much do they cost on eBay? Do we feel good about that? No. So here's what happened. I actually – so I saw it on Reddit and I reached out to the guy who was selling them. And I said, how did you get five of these? And he (laughs) said, my whole family went on the trip. Um, We're not allowed to wear the things with the F word on them. He goes, I just wanted to get them – it was twelve ninety nine to get them in the hands of people who would actually wear them. He goes, you know what? I feel bad about it now. I'm just going to send them all to you and you can do with them what you want. 
Um, and I was like, no, 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 you're fine. You can sell them for 12 bucks. That's okay. I just want to make sure nobody stole a bunch of shirts or anything, but he seemed, he seemed legit. Yeah. The happy ending to that story. Yeah. So, so, and I got the shirt. So, so you have no ill will toward Gulliver or, or Sharp's podcast or you do, or you don't, it doesn't even cross your mind. I have a scattering of ill will every (laughs) once in a while. You know, it's funny on the pod. Did you listen to this week's uh, open floor? I I did a fast forward to us. I'm not okay. interested in any take except if it's about me or you. Right. So here's my favorite part. Here's let me take a quick shot at them, and then we can it, the things you have to say. I I, I want to make sure we don't call Elon late. So yeah. the quick shot at them is they open up and Gulliver tells Sharp about a dream they had about a dream that Ben had about the open floor podcast, and he goes, "I had this dream." That we were doing the podcast at the like at an arena in front of thousands and thousands of people, and people were cheering the whole time. And I was like, "Oh, so it's basically like you had a dream that your podcast was our podcast." <laughs> that's, wow, that's a really cool dream. <laughs> wow, <laughs> awesome dream, Ben. You're allowed on any time if you want. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Great. Well, I don't know. We sort of have a choice. Uh, uh, the things you have to say, are they discussion points or are they just things to say? Uh, discussion points, kind of. So uh, why, why don't we do they them? Can, they can, wait, you know what? They can wait till next week. They'll wait till next week. Are you sure? Not, They're not time yeah. sensitive. Not time sensitive. Let's okay. talk about Jerry. Okay. So Jerry Colangelo, I, I give credit to uh, the afternoon show producer, Ben Livingston, told me the day before. He goes, I got Jerry Colangelo. And I was like, oh, boy, that's awesome. Uh, so the two things I took away that he said that I, he was – let me tell you. Is ya. he still like associated with the team? No, we didn't. I, thought, we, I we, thought he keeps dropping out. No, we 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 did not go – we went a different way. Like like we – I don't want to – but Oh, it, no, not that. I'm saying he – not, not, not yeah, in terms of WFP. He's a I'm special saying, advisor. He's a special he, advisor. And the way he talked, it seemed as if he was there for meetings and oh, the lottery. Of course, yeah. of course he feels that way. Of course he thinks he's a very valid and useful well, I don't, here's, fucking idiot. Here's – Is – is <laughs> But didn't he have to like pull out to do the Team USA stuff? Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have like that. <clears throat> he wasn't the CEO, but he was like chairman or something. He doesn't have that title anymore. He just okay. has an advisor title, a special advisor, in the same way that Doug Collins and Ed Stefanski and Rod Thorne. Well, I yeah, and, I don't, uh, I don't know uh, how Tony in... DeLeo. All of them have have got parachuted to a, a special advisory position. I don't I know if Brian he, Skinner is still a special advisor. It's great. I, I, I don't know if he is or he – I sort of get the feeling he might be. Like I get the feeling they might listen to him. I don't know. He Most of the interview was actually fine and he knew what to say and what he didn't say. Like, I, I, took, I took two things from it. I took the, the, the Lonzo Ball thing, which I thought was more talent. I didn't see that. What did okay. you say about that? So he said um, – Shit. I basically he said that the people are. He said Lonzo Ball is a fantastically talented player. He goes the people around him without naming without naming names are. Going, oh, I wonder who he's talking about. Yeah, Jer. way to hide it. Way are, to conceal it. Good are going to make it a an interesting conversation. Basically, um, and he said ultimately, you know, you take the best player. But he did. He did. He did make the. He did um, at least hint that like the father thing would be a at least a thing to talk about like it's not nothing that's what i took from it sure. and then the other thing was they asked him credit to uh to 
Chris for asking him about Hickey before he went out. And Chris basically asked him, looking at it like you look at it now, you know, what do you think of the job that Sam Hickey did? And uh, Jerry said that he gives him credit for thinking out of the box and uh, thinking differently. But uh, you can only be that bad for so long. And he ran out of time. Basically, uh, Kyle. I, I the only reason I I read Kyle Newbeck's article on Liberty Ballers. Yep. Um, and Kyle said, saying he ran ran out of time when he fired him, and pretty <laughs> yeah. much fired him, and then hired his son instead, is like saying the turkey and cheese in my refrigerator ran out of time this afternoon after <laughs> I made a sandwich. <laughs> That's really true. That's very true. It, that, yeah. It, he's he's such a it's there's it, everything he says is just dripping with like self-importance and and just a just a general lack of need. I mean I guess he's how old is he 70 something whatever he doesn't need to give a shit about what other people think anymore or what actually is true but just like the narrative of like oh yeah he didn't have a plan he the losing was I mean eventually had to end right last year the Sixers won fucking what 31 games without Really, any contribution from the guys that his son signed? Ex- well, except for um, what's his name, the guy he traded for, the big, tall, three-point shooting uh, Ersa- flopper Ersa- guy. Ersa. Yeah, Ersa. <laughs> big, tall, three-point shooting <laughs> flopper guy. It's it's the off-season, baby. We're right there. Yeah, pretty accurate though. I thought you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, pretty true. But then, he, but then he said, uh, the, "My favorite quote is, and I love these kinds of quotes because it it's just." His son actually specializes it also in just saying nothing, using so many words to say nothing, but or or like a like an like saying something as if it's inspired. I'll just say it. I think this draft could be very important for the Sixers, not just this coming year, but in years to come. Jerry, you're fucking blowing me away, my man. It's sort of you're you're saying the draft. Hold on. You're saying the draft when you when you get players for four years and then could sign them for five more. You're saying that you're not even thinking about just next year with it. You're thinking in the future. You're looking you're looking above above the horizon line. You're getting there. Go go look at Jerry. That's innovative, man. That's how you started the league, man. Wow. Jerry Colangelo. I hate this guy. I really truly hate him. I'm so mad. Go go back and delete any any takes when Colangelo got hired of me saying like, hey, experience, relationships, delete them. They didn't exist. Never happened. I want it scrubbed. I'm so I, – I can't stand these people. I just – I can't stand them. Idiots. <laughs> Idiots. I want to let you roll. you have anything left? Oh, I got stuff left. Let's call it a lot. Uh, well, let's do the – wait, hold on. Let me let him know. We'll call him in two minutes. Um, okay. I want to talk about our sponsor first. Um, L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. There we go. Now, you hear ads on podcasts, right? And these companies are all fine with decent products. You hear about Casper Mattresses and Blue Apron and, um, you know, Rocket Mortgage and Seek. so on and so forth. Think – yeah. Do you think – now – uh, and I'm sure all all good companies, right? The difference is when we tell you about Ella Pavorsky Jewelers, like we actually 
know and interact with the guy that we're talking about, right? We have actual, you know, inside knowledge and and personal knowledge about, and we're not being paid to say it. We're just telling you because we think it's great. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. So, so what better recommendation can you get, right? If somebody gets, uh, you know, some 60-second ad copy in front of them or people talking about it from the heart. We're talking about it from the heart. L.L. Pavorsky Jeweler is the only place that you should be going to get an engagement ring. It's the only place you should be going to get any sort of jewelry because he is a fine man. He is a stand-up citizen. He is a great jeweler, and he is a good friend. That is the guy that you're going to, right? 39 different, right, Ricky Sanchez listeners have gone there for engagement rings. Countless others have gone there for, uh, you know, I've met people who have gone there just for wedding bands because they already had the engagement ring picked out or just, you know, a lovely gift for your loved one. It's always- if, he was a, if he was a bad jeweler, we would probably still say this stuff, but he's, yeah. he's good but also. He's a good jeweler I've been too. to him. Right. I've been to him. He's good. The, so here's the deal. You want an engagement ring. Before you go and see LL, let him know so he can get the the down the download from you about you know what you want to spend, what you're looking for. And by the way, it doesn't matter what you want to spend from a thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars. He he'll take care of you because you're a Ricky listener. Um, let him know that you want to come over. So make an appointment. 215-627-2252 is the number for the shop. You can go to llpavorsky.com and email him. You can even just tweet him at llpavorsky, um, and he will take good care of you. And as our sponsor, he makes generous donations to the Alzheimer's Association of the Delaware Valley and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence for every single podcast. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Not just for this year. But for years to come, uh, you're doing the same thing that I did. Um, <laughs> no, but that, that also oh, applies to right. buying a buying a piece of jewelry. Right, right, right. All right, here we go. Let's. I just clicked add to call. Let's see if it works. Uh, looks. Oh, I think he's there, Elon. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear us? Yeah. You guys sound great. Good quality. Oh wow. What's up, Elon? Good to have you back. Love doing this What's, every year. Season two renewed. Yeah, we're holding on on that. We'll talk about that later. Uh-oh. Oh, okay. boy. Oh, boy. Oh, still, boy. Still actual details being worked out. Not allowed to say anything publicly. Wow. I love that Ilan comes in with a trial and error take, like, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> immediately. Well, he's he's going to say stuff I can't say, and I'm going to ask him things he can't say. So right, right. Out. Perfect, perfect. Um, I, well, I agree with that. I concur. <laughs> well, uh, so we, we mentioned before, EV Hoops is the site. With all the uh, the scouting, and we appreciate you coming on again. You know, before we get into this year's draft, I wanted to touch on. You know, Mike and I were texting last night about um, what. We, oh, Mike was asking me what you thought of Chris. We were just talking, thinking about last year. Are there are there um, looking back on how you scouted last year and how everyone played? Are there any? You know, things you felt particularly, you were like, oh, I was wrong about that. Oh, I was really spot on about that. Are there any things that stick out about that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. So, you know, we really like, for instance, Kay Felder. And I think it's too early to totally close the book on him. But Kay Felder versus Tyler Ulis was a legitimate conversation for us. And when you kind of look back at what we've seen in the rookie seasons, I think Tyler Ulis is kind of looking like the superior prospect from an undersized point guard, you know, class. And I think those two guys are going to be battling in the future. But right now, Ulis has the edge. So if we wanted to kind of make a judgment 
a year later, I think that's a guy where we were too high on compared to his fellow, you know, tiny point guard. Um, another guy that I think we were probably a little bit too high on, like Denzel Valentine and DeAndre Bembry, mm-hmm. just two guys that, you know, you really love their basketball IQ, you love their ability to fit in and kind of get work. And then you see Denzel on Chicago, they're not giving him any opportunities to ball handle. He's really becoming a spot-up shooter. And you start kind of seeing what he becomes when the entire offense doesn't revolve around him. And then DeAndre Bembry can't shoot, still has kind of some positional concerns at his size. And I think when Atlanta needed another wing to step up, that guy became Torian Prince and not DeAndre mm-hmm. Bembry. And I think that that's pretty telling. What? We don't wanna, we're not going to touch Marquise Chris? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Chris. I mean, I, you guys probably think we we were off on Chris, but well, he started well, 75 of 82 games. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Marquise, I, I know my big board. Everybody laughs at my big board, but I had Marquise Chris number two. Uh, so I do not did not disagree with you about Marquise Chris. And and I know this is that you are the guest, but I will say if you look at the stat lines, Marquise Chris had a much better rookie season than Brandon Ingram did um, in just about every statistical category. So I uh, go ahead. Well, so we're talking about a kid that's still 19 years old. He'll turn 20 in July, and he started 75 of 82 games as a rookie. Now, granted, Phoenix wasn't a team that's chasing a playoff spot. They're going young, but he didn't look terrible in those minutes. He made almost a three a game, nine points, four rebounds. The fouls are still an issue. But I was actually watching a Suns game the other day just trying to kind of go back and study some of the rookies to see how they progress throughout the year. And this is someone that projects ahead as – a guy that could potentially make threes, throw in alley-oops, provide energy, athleticism. I mean, if Rashawn Holmes could shoot threes and was more athletic and, I guess, had even more upside, that's kind of what we're talking about here. And I think, Chris, we haven't seen even close to what he could be. His ceiling is just its still really high. And I think he's somebody that didn't even understand where Phoenix was when he landed there. And his head's still spinning. But when we look at him at 21, 22 years old, he's going to be a different player i don't know still don't like him uh, i don't know well, JaVale well, McGee well, Mike, let, let me flip it let me flip it at you mike who would you have taken at three like let's say simmons goes off at one ingram goes off at two i know chris didn't go three but who's your number three guy wait let me pull off as in uh, who i would take right now or who i would have taken then no like looking back at the season because like if you're saying it's brogdon i think that that's a that we're talking about like a Mike Miller draft, which mm-hmm. I like what Brogdon did, but he can't be the number three pick in a redraft, even though he's probably going to finish second in rookie of the year voting. Yeah, as much as I didn't like Jalen Brown, especially not for the Sixers, um, I'd probably I'd probably right now go Jalen Brown over Marquise Chris. And I think that's fair. And I look at what Jalen Brown did, and they're clearly grooming him to be you know a two-way wing. They didn't need him to play. And we have no idea what he's going to become. So I I just think, and I was actually speaking about this with somebody yesterday, I think it's really hard to look at a draft a year later and try to make a judgment on where you were right or wrong, even though I want to do that more than anybody. But if you do that and kind of make those changes moving forward, you might end up with a Tyreek versus James Harden situation where if you call Tyreek Evans the better player after the rookie season, which he was, and you kind of tried to look for those types of players moving forward, you're going to get burned. Yeah. So yeah. I'd, also, I'd also have Luau over Marquise Chris. And I had him at the time, what? and I have him now. 
I had I, he was Luau was up on my board then, and he's up on my board now. Uh, don't even well. Don't even do, Mike, you want to know? We had him no. number nine overall. There we go. So, I, and, and I, I didn't think he played poorly. I thought, I thought he's no. going to be. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be a great fit alongside Ben as an off-ball cutter, as a floor spacer, and as a defender. It's exactly what you want him to be. Absolutely. Now we're speaking the same language. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So this year's draft um, overall, I guess strength-wise, like the top ten. Um, how you know, relatively to other drafts, how strong do you feel like the top ten guys are? Well, let's just, I guess let's put it this way. If Luau was our ninth best player last year, and let's just say that Malik Monk is our ninth best player this year, I think this year's top 10 is stronger. There's 10 guys that we have at least top 10 grades on, and none of those guys feel like a reach in the top 10. It's not like you get to 9 or 10 and you're like, oh, man, I can't believe I got to take this guy at 9 or 10. It's a really strong top 10. And... We actually have five guys that we have top three grades on. So I believe it's a really strong draft at the top. When you make your way to the end of the first round, that's where I think it gets weak because we don't have 30 guys that we have a, a first round grade on. We only have 28. So once you get to the back end of that first, there's a couple guys that you're kind of cringing as you have to take them in the first round, but that's the draft. So. You know, um, and I, I'm I'm thinking you can answer this because it is team specific, and we're setting up the, the the specific scenario. But let me know if you can't. So let's assume, just for shits and giggles, that Markel Fultz goes number one and Lonzo Ball goes number two. If you're the Sixers at number three, considering their their makeup uh, and considering you know who you think is good, who do you think is the right pick there? If you're them, well, so. Right after the lottery, I went on. I went on Comcast, and we talked about the same question. Okay, and I was pre- I was pretty adamant that Jonathan Isaac was my pick. Now, the more that I think about it, I I believe Jonathan Isaac's the best fit for this team from a player that's available at that spot and a player that we have graded that high. Mm-hmm. I think he could play with Ben. He could play with Sarge. He could play with Joel. From a fit standpoint, he can play with anyone. He doesn't have holes in his game. He's not a specific niche player. He's someone that can fit in early. And as you kind of get him to realize how good he can be, something that I'm not sure he totally understands yet, I think he could become special. Like, I don't think he's going to become a franchise player, but he could become a really, really you know, interesting, intriguing, six foot 10, two way ball handling ability player. That's a total mismatch. And my concern with him, though, from a Sixer standpoint, is. He's got the foot concern, which he dealt with at IMG. He's got asthma, and he had a hip flexor at Florida State. So these are just there's just injury questions that we don't want to be talking about anymore as Sixers fans. But if we're simply talking about him as a fit, he's the best fit. Really? Spikes, I, I really Spikes worried he's too tall. Well, <laughs> so yeah. Well, Spike, do you think he's a three or a four? Because that to me dictates whether he's too tall so i think he's well i think he's a four but like i also think ben simmons is a four i think that's the problem like defensively i think both of those guys when i'm look you've everyone here on this this call has watched more jonathan isaac footage than i have but when i watch him and i watch his feet i can't imagine him guarding threes and that's my problem is that both he and simmons seem like uh you know guys that 
if you have in the right spot are and and if he's that big and that rangy and that tall, the fact that you have him running around like on the perimeter um, trying to guard threes is a mistake, right? Like like he seems like he would be a, um, a sort of a nuisance around the rim and we'd be pulling away from him. So it just says and and on top of that, the other reason why I don't think he's a great fit, like the more now we're beyond YouTube and just about reading about him is that like. I just think we need somebody on the team who's going to be able to go get points on his, you know, and score on his own. And I, I don't, it doesn't seem like he's that guy at all. He's definitely not that guy right now. He's, but he's also not the kind of guy that you put out on the court and he's going to create spacing issues because he's a, he's a fine spot of shooter. He's not some deadly offensive player, but he handles like a six foot two player. He's fluid. He can get in and out of moves with really nice fluidity and crispness for somebody his size. And he's someone that I think is just going to kind of get better and better and better. And when you look at him six years down the road, people are going to say, how did Jonathan Isaac get picked so late? So you're playing the long game with him. And defensively, I agree with you. I want him from a primary standpoint defending fours because you don't want him to play away from the rim too much. You want the rim protecting and you want the defensive rebounding. But I think he is – I actually – do think he is the feet and the hips and the overall defensive awareness to defend multiple positions. And I'm just a big believer in defensively trying to put out lineups that can switch everything. And this yeah. kid plays into that. And that's not saying that a Josh Jackson doesn't, but Jonathan Isaac absolutely does. And if you wanted to early on make him a small ball five, I mean, you could do a lot of creative things with him. And he's not going to be somebody that limits you, he's going to be somebody that allows you to play different ways. A lineup with Covington, Isaac, Simmons, Embiid could switch everything all the time. That'd be pretty vicious. Yeah, and, and I think that that's where the league is right now. Because if you can't switch, like everybody wants to put superstars, like run them through pick and rolls to death, tire them out, get them on a, a bigger player or a stronger player that can take advantage of them. But if you're putting out a lineup that can switch everything, that's becoming the solution to where the NBA is going right now offensively. Uh, well, one final point about Isaac, uh, Amos, uh, Lee made a point to me that he was the perfect guy for the Sixers to draft because of Philadelphia's inclination of making last names plural that aren't plural, like Alshon. Oh, that's great. And he was like, he's definitely Isaacs, like Jonathan Isaacs. You talk about all the other guys, it doesn't work, but Isaacs worked. And within, I would say within two days, someone tweeted me about Jonathan Isaacs. There you go. Yeah. Lonzo Balls doesn't work as well. No, Balls doesn't work. Fultz's doesn't work. Uh, Smith's obviously doesn't work. Uh, Monk's doesn't work, but Isaac's works. Yeah. I think Jason Jason Tatum's works. Oh, Tatum's does work a little bit. Oh, my God. That's Unfortunately. Okay, tell me – can you tell me what you don't like about Jason Tatum? I don't want to hear anything about what you do like. (laughs) Okay. So I believe he is a scorer for the NBA – 12 to 15 years ago. Yes. He's somebody that is a mid-range operator, and he's elite in the mid-range for a player his age. His footwork is crazy polished. But as he extends deeper to three-point range, his mechanics change. He's not nearly as comfortable. The footwork into a jump shot isn't as fluid and as just natural. And in today's NBA, you got to be able to shoot the three. To add to that, I think he's very isolation-dependent. He's someone that even in high school was just enamored with taking tough, isolated, contested shots. And that's kind of what he did at Duke, even if sometimes they, they had Kennard running the show. But when the ball touches Tatum's hands, 
things kind of slow down as he triple threats, jab steps, and sets up those mid-range jump shots. That's not how I envision this team growing in the future when you want your two best players in offense to be Simmons and Embiid, and you don't want your third best player to be slowing down offensive movement. Agree. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Mike... <laughs> <laughs> can we ask? Can I ask you about uh, one of the guys I'm very high on, higher than pretty much anybody else? I have him in, creeping into my top five, and I'm threatening myself to move him up. Uh, is Donovan Mitchell? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, top five I think is think crazy. You think top five is crazy? For yeah, top, top five, five top five Sixers specific. I mean, it. I mean, it, I don't know about that, but I would not give him a top five grade. I like Donovan Mitchell. I think he showed a lot of improvement this year as a shooter. He entered the year with serious, serious point guard concerns and Mm -hmm. kind of no actual position. But then when Quentin Snyder went down and this kid was forced into playing point guard, he grew on the job. And if you were almost contrast him with like Frank Jackson, who Duke, you know, shoved into that point guard role and said, be a pure point guard. And that was so unnatural for him. I thought Donovan Mitchell grew quicker in a shorter period of time playing the unnatural point guard position and that's why I think projecting ahead, he's a little bit easier to envision. He could be a fake point guard. He's not a real point guard, but he could be a quote-unquote point guard in your starting lineup. But Ben Simmons could actually run the point. And exactly. Donovan Mitchell could defend ones and twos. High-level defensive ability. He could be a first-team all-defensive defender type. He could defend three someday, even though I think he's really kind of short and more of like a stout, not necessarily rangy defender but I think strength will never be an issue for him. And I think offensively, there's a chance he's somewhat close to his ceiling. He might just be a spot-up shooter, but he is a freak athlete. I just don't know if he really knows how to utilize it because his dribble is not that advanced. And his athleticism, like I wrote a note in, in back in November about him. I still think it applies. I kind of feel like he is the athleticism of like Kenyon Martin in a six foot two person, which is really weird. And it's like big man athleticism in a, in a positionless guard. So I don't know if that's going to translate in the NBA outside of putback dunks and random alley-oops, but it's not going to really manifest itself on self-created athletic plays. And that's why I like him because we have Simmons already have him be the secondary creator of straight line drives. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a good fit for the Sixers. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm with you. I just wouldn't take him top five. That's fair. Um, well, you got something, Spike? No, I was just gonna bef- before I, you know, before we get to the, the the second round guys. I'm sure you wanted to ask about the two guys I wanted to know about. Um, one guy who now, Mike, can you tell me? Am I imagining that after Dennis Smith went number two on my YouTube big board, that he started popping up higher in mocks, at least around Philadelphia? Am I? You're not imagining about? it. Okay. He, he's pretty. He's pretty high in my also, but yeah, yeah you're oh, not right. imagining. Well, I, yeah, okay, so. So, but we were, and we were guessing, Elon, what you would say about Dennis Smith. How do you feel about Dennis Smith as a prospect, and then as he fits with the Sixers? And we might as well do Monk because he he fits in the same sort of category uh, as Smith. I think. I am not a big time Dennis Smith fan. Spike was right. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, because so why? I, yeah. Why did you think I wouldn't like him? Well, I, so I, I thought back to when we talked to you about uh, Mario Hazonia and like the things that you didn't like about him and just listening to you over the years and like as uh, sort of 
um, spacey on defense and ball hoggy as he is on offense. Um, and then he doesn't really, his physical profile doesn't lend itself to like, Im- like he's not rangy and he's not long and he's not tall at all. So, um, so those things all added up to me in being, in you being not a huge Dennis Smith fan. Well, what I'm, my concerns with him are this kid when he was younger, everybody built him out to be this like freak show athlete. We were expecting the next Steve Francis, the next Baron Davis. And while I thought he was explosive and fast and could really get downhill when he was in high school pre-injury, I never saw it to that extent. And then post-injury, I think it's his athleticism has been even less. Now, it's, he's not a bad athlete by any means, but I would almost call him like a power athlete. And that's where I think he needs to really, you know, kind of that path he needs to go down moving forward is become a downhill power athlete, someone that's more comfortable finishing through bodies than necessarily above bodies. And I think that's how he's going to succeed in the league, kind of like Kyle Lowry became. Now, what my concern with him is I think he's a stat sheet stuffer that doesn't necessarily lead to wins. I think he's somebody that kind of doesn't know how to run an offense. He just randomly flirts back and forth between passing and shooting, but there's never actually a reading of the defense, of making the right play at the right time because that's what was it was designed for to happen. It's just kind of mentally premeditating which one he's going to do, and I think that's a really immature way to play basketball. That's kind of the way that Moutier played basketball entering a draft. Different players, but he's got to evolve as a decision maker, and I think with that will hopefully come winning. It just might not happen on his first NBA team. It might take him a second team to really come alive and figure out his destiny. And I think he could be really good defensively. And I think he could be a really good fit with Ben Simmons because I actually don't want him running point guard 24 seven. I'd rather him and Ben be a point guard by committee, kind of like a Kyrie LeBron relationship, not comparing to to Kyrie, but that's who he's got to become. And that's why he could work with the Sixers. I just don't love his talent for this year's draft in the top five. Now, some I've only looked at I haven't looked at much stuff from high school, um, but his team at NC State was real bad, and the coach obviously was getting fired before the season was over, and so I I forgive a lot of the decision making, not using his teammates much stuff, um, and I and I also look after the fact at he's coming one year off the ACL injury, and there's probably more athleticism there to unlock with with uh, another year of health. Um, do you see either of those things as valid? A- absolutely. And first of all, like I'll t- touch on the athleticism. I think when we look at him as a rookie, I would hope that the athleticism starts to return. That's usually when it happens, two years removed from the injury. So that's kind of addressing the athleticism, which I think could come back. But again, I never thought it was as good as advertised pre-injury. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of his teammates at NC State, he definitely didn't have much help. But at the same time, I thought he had enough to be, you know, a competitive college basketball team. You had a boo to kind of throw down oops. You had your seven to post up, even though your seven stunk. You, yep. you had shooters in the wings. But when you look back at him in AAU, for instance, he played with Bam Adebayo, and mm-hmm. they had a really good synergy for alley oops and for kind of running the floor. And that's a situation where he had a dude he could trust, and he played better because of it. And he'll have that in the league, but. I still just wonder if there's too much kind of putting on a show, filling up stats, and not enough winning on this kid's resume. That said, I think he's a better prospect than Chris Dunn last year, and I like him. 
I just don't love him. And being taken in the latter part of the top 10, there's nothing wrong with that as a point guard. But I just like other point guards better. I got to tell you, the athleticism thing, I, I don't see the, the – now, of course, I'm watching highlights, right? But um, especially in the half court, he looks pretty explosive to me. Like he reminded me of Lillard and Westbrook, actually. That, that's sort of how he reminded me. Now, I'm not watching as much as you are, but that's what I thought when I saw him. Well, I don't think he has the ability to just regularly turn drives into freakily above the rim dunks. I think it's kind of there's, there's moments like he had that Duke dunk at the end of the shot clock or at the end yeah. of the regulation. There's moments and there's flashes and he's not a bad athlete. But like when we talk about Westbrook and we talk about Steve Francis and we talk about Baron Davis, these guys are freak shows. These guys are, you know, all world athletes to point guard position. And I just wouldn't put him in that mold. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what about Monk? And Monk. Yeah. Talk about Monk. Malik Monk is a perfect fit for the Sixers. I mean, everybody knows that. You don't you don't need to do you don't need to watch a bunch of games to figure that out. It's easy. Um, he's a shooter. He isn't ball dominant. He's going to get a ton of clean looks on this team between Ben and Joel. Defense will be forced to account for him. There's not going to be spacing issues. He's got to improve in his ability to run off screens. He doesn't really do it with any sort of nuance or maturity right now. He doesn't really have a serious dribble game yet. Dribble super basic. And here's kind of one of my bigger concerns with him is he is a big-time athlete, but he doesn't play regularly athletic in the half court. And I think that yeah. that's partially because of his lack of a dribble to create those drives. And I think he's just – I mean, we had this conversation with Hazonia. If you can win a three-point shootout and you can win a dunk contest at 18, 19 years old, which one are you going to ultimately do more moving forward? You're going to shoot threes because it's easier. And that's potentially where this kid – falls into but hopefully the right nba team can untap those drive that driving ability the alley-oop ability the cutting ability so he's not just a three-point jack but either way i think he's a really good fit for the sixers i just don't see like a brad beal type here are you worried about the defense i think he can defend as good as he wants to i'm not saying he could be an all defensive type player but there's no reason why malik monk has to be a below average defender he's athletic he covers space he's got good hands he's a good dissipation i'm always really stunned when i look at how low his steals numbers were because yeah. i feel like he could jump passing lanes like an nfl cornerback or like a safety but he just doesn't really go that hard on defense all the time but he's a good kid he's not a bad kid he's not lazy i think when a team says hey malik because we got ben go defend a point guard maybe that will wake him up a little bit maybe Chasing J.J. Redick around screens all day will wake him up a little bit. But he has the ability to be really good defensively. It's not like like he's got way more defensive upside than a Buddy Heald, even though Buddy defended really well in his underclassman days because this kid's a big-time athlete. Yeah. I got one more question, and then Spike can tune out while we talk about uh, second-round prospects. You guys, you, uh, By the way, you guys could make up the names of guys and debate them <laughs> for 35 minutes. I would never know the difference. I believe it. Yeah. Um, We've asked we asked this to Kevin O'Connor last week. Who do you have whose jumper do you have more faith in developing into being league average, Josh Jackson or De'Aaron Fox? It's a good question. It's a good question. Um, Josh Jackson. Interesting. So the reason why I would say that is because I know exactly what Josh Jackson needs to fix in order to become a good three point shooter in the NBA. I've broken down his film a ton. I feel like I know what's wrong with the shot. He 
sometimes releases before his peak. He sometimes releases after his peak. He's got to shoot at his peak every time. That's step one. Step two is when he follows through, he doesn't completely extend the follow through. He doesn't flatten out and have that perfect wrist snap every time. Sometimes he shortchanges his elbow and he creates you know, a really bad angle that isn't consistent from shot to shot. And the reason that because he does that, his misses can be erratic. The thing about Josh Jackson, though, is when you first of all watch him dribble into jump shots, his dribble setup moves are they have all star potential. They're borderline elite. He's not someone that looks uncomfortable setting up his shot off the bounce. And he shot well from college. He didn't this, this wasn't like somebody that shot 32 percent. I think in like the last like X amount of the games, he was over 40 percent from three. So. He's somebody where I feel like I know what he needs to fix, and it's fixable. It's not easy, but it's fixable. And if he gets there, we're talking about an all-star. Now, I'm not so sure he will, but if we're talking about him versus De'Aaron Fox, I feel more comfortable that Josh Jackson will become a better shooter than De'Aaron Fox because I watched De'Aaron Fox shoot threes ad nauseum, and I'm still trying to figure out what the problem is. It doesn't seem to make sense why he's so inconsistent. And it's you know if you even watch him from the mid range he loves that free throw line pull up jump shot and even mm-hmm. that as, as much as he likes it he's not that good at it so it's like Josh Jackson has things that he's good at already that you can point to maybe it's closer to Justice Winslow who shot really really well at Duke from three and he got to the league and it just didn't translate but I actually think it's easier to fix for Jackson than it would be for Fox. Okay, all right, let's dive in. Uh, not a huge year aside from Frank Nilakina for international guys and specifically international guys that the Sixers would be interested in, i.e. not big men. Uh, who do you like between Mushidi and Kurix? And I didn't make those names up, Spike. And are there other international guys sort of deep down? Because as the Sixers have four, four second round picks, they're not going to make all those picks and they're not going to make all those picks to be American guys. There's going to be some stash action. So tell me what you like there. Well, I think it's a really, really, really bad international draft. Yeah. When you get, when you get outside of Frank, it's, it's borderline terrible. There's, there's nobody else in the first round that I really, really want overseas. And when you get to the second round, I mean, I believe Mushidi will ultimately pull out before the deadline because the international players can still do that. And, it wouldn't shock me if Karuks did the same thing. Oof. But both of these kids are, are really far away. Karuks specifically, I mean, he's had injury problems. The meniscus has really taken away seasons from this kid. His development has slowed. He's playing for, you know, FC Barcelona too. He's not playing for their main team. Th- this kid's far away. Now, could he be Sam Decker in time? Could he be Omri Caspi? Maybe. But we're talking about five or six years from now. And I don't know how exciting that is. Now... Mushidi is really unique, and I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to him. He's someone that, at his size as a six foot five shooting guard, you could have set a screen at the top of the key, and he can roll down the rim, roll down the paint. You can hit him with the with the rock real quick, and he's got the ability to find shooters off of that play. And I think that kind of makes him unique for a shooting guard, just the ability to kind of mix up how you're setting screens, not just have your guards being the ones that operate off a ball screen and your big setting that screen. He's got the ability to shoot. He's got heat check ability down the road. And I think he's got some strength that can really allow him to defend multiple positions defensively. Now, maybe he's Aaron Harrison. 
Maybe not. Maybe somebody better. Maybe he's a smaller, poor man's version of Joe Johnson. I don't know because he's still so young on his basketball journey. And this kid cannot come over anytime soon. So if the Sixers were to grab him in the second round, he's a good target. As somebody that doesn't have to take up a roster spot for the 2017-18 season. And maybe come 2020, he's ready to come here. I agree with us. Anybody well, else that we should be keeping an eye on? Well, and by the way, just in in reference to the Sixers, they have four second round picks and not a lot of roster spots. So yeah. guys that they can stash. It's a bummer that there aren't a ton of good European guys because stashing guys, it seems like this year in particular, would be a positive for them. So there's a kid who plays on. He actually plays for FC Barcelona. He's not relegated to their junior team. Um, Alexander Vazenkov. He's Bulgarian. And he's declared every year for the past couple of drafts and withdrawn before the deadline. Now he's automatically eligible because he'll turn 22 during the, this calendar year. When he played in Greece, he played for Aris, and he was the best player. And this is a good team in Greece and a good league. He's the best player when he's about 19 years old. Transfer, you know, uh, signed to FC Barcelona. And last year was his first year with the club. Couldn't really figure out what they needed out of him, what that role required. Really struggled. But this year, he's back. He's not a go-to guy like he was for Aris, but he's a really, really, really good spot-up shooter, borderline elite, projecting ahead. Now, he's going to have to prove that he's better than the Kyle Wilters of the world, but I think he could be because I think he's got the ability to speed up shot releases no matter how tight the window is. He has a resume of being the go-to guy, even if it was at a lesser level for a worse team. And he's really, really smart. He gets it. He can run off screens. He can make timely cuts. He's a really bad athlete, but he get, he's so smart that he can overcome it. And we're talking about a second-round dart throw at this point. So, again, you're, when you talk about Ben Simmons, you want shooters. This kid's actually one of the 8 to 10 best shooters in this draft. So I think that's a good target overseas. Cool. Love a lefty. Um, okay. It feels like the guy that everybody – this always happens. There's, who's the new hot player? For a while it was Draymond, and, and it still is to some extent. But everybody's talking about trying to find the next Malcolm Brogdon. There's a lot of candidates as in older guys who played maybe role-player roles at college but can translate uh, to the pros. We're talking Cinderius Thornwell, Justin Jackson, Semi Ojale, Josh Hart, Wesley Awundu, Devon Reed, a few more. Who – at a, in that next in that Brogdon-esque role, who do you like coming out? Well, there's a couple names I I can't hit on, but sure. after the, the draft, I could always tweet them out or something. But one guy you listed, which I've I've already kind of been vocal about how much I like him, is Josh Hart. Yeah, I was going to ask I, you I about take, Hart. I would take Josh Hart with the first round draft pick, and mm-hmm. I think I'm in the minority there. And it's not like a cringe-worthy first round draft pick. He's got a first-round grade for me. He's someone that will stick around. He's been through it all. He's worked his way up through every role that Villanova asked him to play, whether that was just energy guy, don't worry about touches off the bench, to sixth man, to you know third banana last year, to one of the best players in college basketball this year. I love guys that work up that pecking order, keep improving. He did. Kept getting stronger. Three-point shot got better. Defensively, I think he's going to hold his own, even though he doesn't have the athletic tools that you ideally want, but neither did Brogdon. Now, I don't think he's Brogdon, but if you're looking for a Brogdon type, someone that's a senior that can come in and by game 20, he's actually started 15 of 20 games for his NBA team. People are wondering why he didn't go higher. I think Josh Hart's the guy. 
Cool. Cool. Um, okay. I like that you can't tell me stuff that always excites me. Um, <laughs> I wish I had more to contribute. I already, I already no, named no, no, all no. the guys I, that I, I just, know. I'm just picking yeah. my spots. I like okay. it. I like it. I like it. Right. Um, talk about Frank Mason because he's a guy that if he – there's not too much dissimilar from him. Obviously, he's a point guard, but he heals a two guard. But in terms of guy who was very successful at what he did on the college level um, and people are, you know, Buddy Heald was consensus-wise a lottery pick, uh, maybe went a little higher because of the Kings, but people were, people were thinking of him as a lottery pick anyway. Um, why is Frank Mason not getting that kind of love, uh, even though he's a great shooter and dominated at the college level in a way that people were expecting Buddy to translate. So now when you say love, you're saying like, why isn't Frank Mason being deemed a lottery pick or like a first rounder? I, I I've seen, I, I haven't really even seen him much in like the, in the early second. It seems like people are thinking of him in the fifties. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't read other websites, mock drafts. I, sure. I stay away from them. I just try Good. to do everything as much as I can in a vacuum. But Frank Mason is somebody that there's guys in our staff that really, really like him. They think he is going to figure out a way to stick, but I'm one of those guys that's a little bit more skeptical, so I'll kind of explain where that's coming from. Okay. He's doesn't have ideal size. He's small. I'm really you know, always scared off by smaller point guards, especially when they don't do anything special, and I don't think Frank Mason's special at anything. He's a good athlete. He's not a Nate Robinson type of athlete. He's got a really good spot of three-point shot. Arguably one of the best in the draft, especially when left wide open. But this isn't going to be Pierre Jackson where he's taking guys off the bounce and just making people look foolish. He's not Yogi Ferrell quick on an island. He's more of a downhill point guard. But how effective can a downhill point guard be when they're you know, six foot, maybe less, not that physically imposing, and they're not big-time athletes? So I think there's concerns with him. Like, the guy on my staff who really, really likes him keeps saying, oh, he's going to be a great defender. And my argument is, this guy's never been an elite defender. He's never been a pest. He's fine. But, like, we never saw Tyler Eulis stuff from him defensively. So are we just assuming he's going to be a great defender because he's a good dude, because he got better? Because, like, it's not like I ever thought Frank Mason had some all-world IQ. He was just effective. He was aggressive. He was tough. And he got better. And so maybe he just reached a point in college where, you know, something I call basketball nirvana, where you've been around college long enough, you've seen every single situation, there's nothing anybody can throw at you that's going to kind of spook you or get you intimidated, and you're just, you're at a higher level than everybody else. And that's where Buddy Hield was, and that's where Frank Mason was this year. Now, there's something to be said for that, and Frank Mason deserves a shot. I would draft him. But I'm not going to bet my job on the fact that he's going to make it. Okay. Uh, one more guy, and then I got a broader question for you. Uh, Cam Oliver is a guy that is is a type that I've always fallen in love with, which is like a chubby athletic tweener. And I don't know why, but I always love him. It's why it's part of the reason why Anthony Bennett was up on my list higher than he should have been. Tell me why I, sh- I well, tell me why I'm right or wrong about Cam Oliver. I have him in the fr- I have him as a as a sixer first round. 
So you probably liked Derek Williams from Arizona. Not not like at, at like top three pick, but I did like him, yeah. Okay, I mean, I like Cam Oliver. I th- think he's got talent. Um, he's one he's of a better, better shooter than those guys. Yeah, I mean, he's a natural shooter, which I think is really important because he can flail his legs, he can lean back, he can take tough shots, and the touch is never affected. He's a natural shooter. He's somebody that can roll into the gym 15 minutes before practice, and he can get hot quickly. I think he's got the kind of ability. Here's the catch. I'm kind of worried he's always going to roll into practice 15 minutes before. I'm not so sure he's got the work ethic to really get hungry, be driven, and never waste an opportunity in the league. I think there's a chance he's always a tease, and he's someone that just falls in love with the jump shot when he's capable of so much more because I think he's a big-time athlete. He could attack the rim more if he wanted to. He could be a really good defender. He's a solid shot blocker, but he might just be somebody that gets into the league, is happy cashing those checks, and just popping threes. And at some point, that becomes a journeyman. Yeah, I feel you. But I'm, I'm still going to overrank him. I can't help myself. Um, I, I, I think we have too, so there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there you go. Um, who are you taking – stepping back a bit, who are you sad didn't declare this year and are looking forward to seeing what they can do for next year? Obviously, Miles Bridges and Robert Williams are the, are the higher-profile ones. Anybody else that you're thinking about? Brian Crawford at Wake, Devontae Graham at Kansas. Those two guys are kind of players that we expected all year to declare. So them returning to school was mildly surprising. Devontae's going to have his chance to finally play point guard. Never got that chance with Frank Mason. And the fact that they didn't get Duvall, they're going to probably trot out Devontae Graham, Malik Newman, the former Mississippi State, highly tatted freshman, LeGerald Vick. And they'll play a three-guard lineup where hopefully Devontae Graham finally plays point. And I think when he does, there's a chance he could show some Mo Williams ability. So that's Mm -hmm. the kind of guy that I'm really excited to see how he blooms in year four at Kansas. And then Brian Crawford, he's a really fast player. He's tough. He's got good intangibles. He defends. He's improving every game as an actual point guard and as a decision maker. So I want to see how far he can come. As junior, I'm slightly concerned that losing John Collins, his alley-oop partner in crime, is really going to make him take a step back, at least as a facilitator. Yeah. One of these days we're going to have you come in and talk about big men, but I, we just don't give a shit. Yeah, we, we got plenty. <laughs> we, we don't I want guess, ca- I mean, think about this draft. It, luckily for Sixers fans, there's no pure center that has a top 10 grade. So... You don't have to look at you know uh, a guy like a Pirtle and kind of worry about is he going to clog up that top ten for the Sixers? There's, there's nobody like that this year. It's not a center heavy draft. He was top at least. You know, I watched the YouTube of that uh, Lori Marketing guy. That guy looks like he's going to suck. I'm not. I'm not buying that guy <laughs> at all. Uh, is he? Is he any good or is he going to suck? Well, why? Why do you think he sucks? Because that I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm not a YouTube scout, so I'm surprised that he, <laughs> that he doesn't translate to YouTube. He doesn't translate to YouTube. I don't know. I watch him. Like you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the look. I make very quick yes or no. Not quick. I wouldn't say quick, but very simple yes or no grades. And I watch that guy, and I'm like, eh, not buying it. Not buying that guy. There's nothing impressive with it. Like physically, he looks pretty slow to me. Like I just don't know where he. 
Like, what is he? Is he like Channing Fry or something? Like, I, I don't know what his deal is in the NBA. He's Channing Fry well, with I, better like ball handling ability. Well, I I have an actual question for you, Spike. Yes, sir. Like, I'm a big I'm a big Eagles fan, and when the when the NFL draft rolls around, I always do YouTube on all the potential Eagles picks. Right. But probably, I wonder if you do this too. If like the music isn't good, that's usually. <laughs> giving me a percentage chance of like not liking the guy and if the first play is lame or i think like oh he was just in the right place at the right time i'll like stop the video and i won't move any further so like how far do you actually go into this youtube like voyage of video so as uh, as mike can attest to i actually took a half day at work to watch youtube uh two weeks ago like that friday and i spend a good bit of time now i will say because of the like because I know that the the Sixers are not taking him. Like, like I'll make a quicker decision on him than I will on the guards. Like, I'll watch guards more than I'll watch somebody like him. Um, but I don't know. It uh, like I don't. I probably watched a few minutes of it. I don't. I listen with the sound down, so I don't because I have the TV on or something. So the music doesn't affect me. Um, you know. But I'll say they probably do have to grab me in the first twenty or thirty seconds. Well, that's fair. Um, okay, so. Lowry Markkinen is a kid that, you know, he's from Finland. He's seven foot tall. He's represented his home country in FIBA events and doesn't have much of a supporting cast. I mean, there's not a lot of Finnish basketball players in recent memory. So he had to do a lot for that team, for, you know, for Finland when he played in the U19 and the U20. But he always poured in a lot of points, one of the leading scorers in events in recent years. Landed at Arizona. They needed him to score immediately as Alonzo Trier faced that really strange, mysterious suspension where we didn't know why he was suspended until midseason. And I think he kind of grew on the job. I think he didn't want to step on people's toes. He didn't want to come off as too aggressive. And he was trying to familiarize himself with what the college game required of him. But when you talk about seven-foot, three-point shooters and you consider his age, he's the best we've seen potentially ever. There's probably never been a kid this young, this able to shoot threes at his size. He's arguably as good as Frank Kaminsky was at that as a senior. And I think he's better than Bargnani was at the same age as a shooter. So that alone, I think, makes him really interesting. And if you project him ahead as somebody that can develop scoring ability, then I think he becomes an entirely different level of player. He goes from the Channing Fries and Ryan Andersons of the world to a potential go-to scoring option. And I think a lot of that's going to hinge on what the rest of your team composition is and where you play him and what you put on his plate. But people are going to point to his poor defensive ability and his poor rebounding as concerns. But I would say if his offensive ability is as good as it can be if he reaches his ceiling, who cares if he can't defend anybody and doesn't rebound? you got to just figure that out with the rest of your team and hide that. Yeah. I worry that he's not quick enough to get the shots off that he wants. He can get, I think he's not that strong. He can get sort of pushed out of the way. I do, rebounding-wise, I'm maybe not as concerned or at least hopeful that, you know, I always look for in college, uh, what was this person doing because of the role that they were put in versus what, what can't they do? Like So, like, Drew Holiday was playing off the ball, so... It doesn't mean he's not a good point guard. And so then you look at like Devin Booker and then Jamal Murray and stuff. So Lowry, Arizona was playing two bigs all the time. He was covering the perimeter. I don't like him at the perimeter at all. 
Um, I don't think he can move his feet quick enough, but I, I have a, I'm a little more hopeful he could become a decent shot blocker and a, and a decent rebounder. Well, I guess let me put, let me ask you this. If Dirk Nowitzki came up today, and I'm not saying he's Dirk, but he yeah. has Dirk-like qualities, do you think Dirk still becomes Dirk? Because your, your very own Liberty Baller, Wesley Share, I'm throwing him under the bus here. But here we go. Wesley actually posed this to the staff and said he doesn't think Dirk becomes Dirk any longer. And I disagree. I think Dirk still becomes the player he was. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Because I think that that conversation is very relevant to large marketing. I think you have you have a really hard time playing him in the in playoff time. I think when teams are switching, I mean, you, you look at everybody against the Warriors, and maybe that's unfair. Um, but if against like the Rockets or the Spurs, like could Dirk on a pick and roll switch do anything to Harden or Kawhi? I think he just get, gets exposed. I mean, maybe. But we're also talking about somebody who now we're judging him and he's 38 years old. And yet yeah. at 38, at 38, last year, 37. I mean, last year he was 37 years old and the league isn't that much different a year later. He averaged 18 points per game. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, I just don't, I don't know if we could like cast that sort of judgment on like the modern NBA and blanket statement on a guy that's going to be a Hall of Famer. It's not like we're talking about you know, Al Jefferson or David West. This is a three-point shooter. So it's really just hiding him defensively. And I think that comes back to Lowry, where if his offensive ability is special enough, you just figure it out defensively. And I think his offensive ability makes that an easier pill to swallow because it's modern day where the NBA is offensively. It's not outdated offense. That's true. Well, uh, I appreciate the time, Elon. Uh, aside from evhoops.com, you're Elon Vino on Twitter. Um, anything else uh, you want to mention throughout there? Plugs? Uh, no. I don't have anything else. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to start a Kickstarter for my cousin and get him a basketball net, but I haven't done that yet. So that might be the future. <laughs> Check it out on Twitter. Yeah, well, if you, uh, we're, glad to, uh, we're glad to retweet that. So, uh, so let us know. How's we- how's okay, Wesley I- doing over there? He's good. I I always forget how tall he is. Too tall. And- yeah. Too tall, like yeah, Jonathan Isaac. <laughs> and we we uh we had a staff basketball game like a couple months ago, and it was the first time Wesley played. And even though he's like really tall, I didn't expect much. And he's flying all over the place. He's like he's like a more athletic like or not more athletic, but more energized Justin Hamilton because he also loves shooting threes. He's a re- <laughs> 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 he, he's a really interesting player, but we also had Pavorsky playing. Oh, how about uh, that? game is just like wild. He's got an yeah, ugly he, jumper. He's like, uh, yeah, he, he really he plays like Lance Thomas, which is like not a good comparison. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, not a good comparison. Not not for that kid. Yeah. Uh, next time there's a there's a staff basketball game, I'm gonna fly in for it, and I might play okay. or I might just I might scout you guys and and yell your strengths and weaknesses at you. <laughs> Well, I, I, I want you to I want you to just reach out to Jake and ask him ask him what I did to him that day because I I'm <laughs> oh I'm no pretty sure I, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I made his head spin with because we ran them off the court oh no you put him on skates did you make him fall down I would love <laughs> it, it it wasn't with dribbling ability we okay. were just running like a like a Showtime Lakers show it was nice. it was uh so Jake wasn't too happy about it. I'm doing a lot of smack talk I'm trying to get Jake. To bring out the Liberty Ballers for an Evie Hoops Liberty Ballers basketball game. <laughs> that I like. That I like. Right, we man. got some size. 
We got some size. Uh, yeah. He, well, he, he, he keeps he keeps talking about Gowton as your like s- defensive center. <laughs> oh wow! They talk about a ringer. That guy's barely like he's not. Liber- I mean, he's SB Nation. Oh, no, he's he? in. Yeah, he's in. Um, he's in. Well, everybody counts. Who's, Tanner counts. Who's <laughs> whose team does Wesley play for? Ooh, Ooh. Uh, we had him first. Okay, that's fair. You guys yeah. can have. <laughs> wow, that that wasn't much of a fight. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd rather have less players, so we're not worried about minutes. Yeah. There yeah. You go. All right, man. I appreciate it. Always thanks fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, all right. That's a good podcast. Did you, learn, did you yeah. learn anything? Um. Uh, no. I mean, I got perspective. The, the, I'm never going to remember the names of the second round guys until we pick them. So, yeah. uh, you know, it was interesting, I guess. Yeah. But Do you I, change your part. opinion based on what he says about, like, Dennis Smith or John Isaac? No. I'm I'm trying to like I'm trying to like Isaac, but I, I just I can't get there. I can't like I just I because height in height in a vacuum isn't a bad thing. It's n- no you but you know what if, I'm if saying. If you think he can't move his feet, right? If you if you think he can't move his feet well enough, yeah. on the outside, then that then sure. Too tall is just a funny way to say it. Like I'm just you know I'm I'm taking you behind the curtain here, you know. Yeah yeah. Oh, uh, it's it's such what a special look it is. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> All right. Okay. So next week, uh, Whittington and Ricky O'Donnell. Yeah. Have you, can you Wait, a, a, a doubler? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because we we only have time for because we have that, and then we have Bodner the following week. Okay. So can you get Whittington and Ricky O'Donnell? <laughs> oh, you're asking me? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'll talk to them. They're your guys. They're so um... wait. I'm out of town. I'm out of town next week. Oh, I thought you we'll, could do it. Well, we'll do it during the week. I, know, I, can, yeah. I can do it. I can do it. We can, uh, we'll, we'll figure, figure it, out. it out. Okay. Um, Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast brought to you by LL Pavorsky Jewelers, uh, 707 Walnut, always at com. Are you down with TTP? It's hard to remember that he's on the team. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Until you remember, and then it gets hard to forget. Yeah. All right. See you. All right. Well. Come on.